the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I'm going to be doing a solo cast, and we're going to take a deep dive into Scripture. In particular, we're going to talk about inspiration, attention, and astonishment as crucial factors in reading the Scriptures. This is an excerpt an augmented excerpt of my forthcoming book in August 2023 that's going to be called Astonished by the Word, Reading Scripture for Deep Transformation. In this book, I'm going to be unpacking a statement that Augustine made in his book on Christian doctrine. He comes back to this a couple of different times, and it's essentially what I would call a hermeneutic based on the great commandment. Augustine wrote, So anyone who thinks that he's understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his or her understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. I love that quotation because, in a sense, it, the most obvious reason to love scripture, uh, to read scripture, is to grow in love, love for God and love for neighbor. It's to be transformed from the inside out. But there's blocks to making that happen. In this book, I reflect on my life of reading scripture. I've now been reading the Bible intentionally for 39 years. I I started reading scripture essentially daily when I was 15 years old, and it was part of my conversion experience. And now looking back on this entire time, along with the work that I've done now with over a thousand students and my own work as a pastor, preaching sermons, writing curriculum, thinking through different things about the scriptures, I wanted to write a book that reflected on how we can read scripture and even get it into our minds, but sometimes it doesn't seem like it's doing anything in us. And so that's the purpose of Astonished by the Word. It's a, it's a book about how scripture can form us and what it looks like for us to open ourselves up a little bit more to God so that through the Spirit, God can come into our lives through our study of the text, and we can tangibly see that reflect back in our love for God and in our ability to love our neighbor, even as we grow, even in our ability to love ourselves. If you're interested in some updates on the book, I have all my contact information back here behind me, but I would in particular just say take a look at Dr. Dr. Brianrussell.org, Dr. Brianrussell.org. And if you go there, you can sign up for updates and you can be alerted to the book, some special groups that I'll be putting together. If you're interested in gathering, say, on a Zoom call with me to answer questions and to hear some reflections and also be able to send you some bonuses closer to when the book comes out. So check out drbrianrussell.org. And if you're interested in some of my other offerings, you can always just go to my website, brianrussellphd.com, for the kind of the one-stop shop. If you're interested in Centering Prayer, you can go to centeringprayerbook.com, and if you're interested in my coaching, you can check out deepdivespirituality.com. Uh, but I would love to have you sign up for some information on Astonished by the Word. Uh, Thomas Merton has a little book on Scripture, and 
in it, he has a great quotation. He said, it's the very nature of the Bible to affront, perplex, and astonish the human mind. Scripture is an essential means of grace that God uses to shape us into the people that he created us to be. As Christians, we talk about the inspiration of Scripture. I've taught, about, taught on the inspiration of Scripture. But what does it mean? To speak of inspiration, I think, is an attempt to differentiate the words in the Bible from words in other books. You know, many writers and artists talk about being inspired. inspired. Uh, they likely were in the sense that they worked out of a sense of something much bigger and grander than themselves. But scriptures, but Christians hold to a larger view of inspiration. What is it that makes scripture inspired in a way that's different from other works of art? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 2, Paul wrote this to his younger partner in ministry, Timothy. He wrote, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, Proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. This passage is likely familiar to many of you listening right now, especially verse 16, because it contains the claim that all Scripture is inspired by God. So 2 Timothy 3.16 is an obvious text for at least thinking about a doctrine of Scripture. It reminds us that the words of Scripture, and when Paul's talking about Scripture here, he's thinking about the Old Testament. But his words remind us that Scripture God-breathed, and God-breathed is the literal meaning of that Greek word translated inspired. To believe in the inspiration of Scripture is part of our faith, and it's, part, it's a core element that's united Christians as well as Jewish persons with respect to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, throughout history. And I'm not interested in attempting to defend the inspiration of Scripture. So my book is going to be a little bit different. This isn't a book on apologetics, because I don't think Scripture requires defending. Instead, Astonished by the Word is a book that is going to encourage you to the reality that Scripture doesn't need defended. It simply needs to be read, but read closely. And if we read the text, I've noticed that the Bible will do its work in us. In fact, I truly believe that the greatest apologetic for the reality and the truthfulness and the power of the Bible is its ability to describe the human condition ruthlessly and point to the truth that God alone can redeem us from our lostness. So if you're listening, I would just invite you to commit to reading the Bible faithfully, consistently, 
And I'm confident that you will encounter the God who inspired the human writers to write the scriptural books. But that's even better. You'll discover the God who created you and loves you unconditionally. Yes, if you read the script, the Bible from cover to cover, there's going to be difficult texts. Yes, some parts of the scripture are going to seem outdated, irrelevant, or downright troubling. And at the end of my book, I try to unpack a few of these more difficult texts just to, to talk about how even a really difficult text can be read in a way that can be transformational for us. But regardless of the difficulties, as a person of faith, I approach Scripture with an openness and curiosity that we might describe as a posture of consent. Rather than being suspicious of what the Bible says, I choose to be interested and suspicious of my own reactions to what the Bible says. That's especially true of texts that directly challenge the way that I presently live and the causes that I currently serve and support. So when I approach Scripture, I want to fully consent to giving Scripture a reading even when I don't like what it says. So for me, consent means this. I accept the Scriptures in their final form as the guide to helping us to make our way through the world. I believe that the content of the Bible is as God intended it to be, including all of its messiness and even some of the contradictory statements that you'll run into if you read it really carefully. My job as a reader is to open my heart and my mind to it in order to understand its demands on my life and on the, on the community of faith in which I live. The attitude of, and curiosity, then, that I'm bringing to the act of reading the Bible sets the limits on what Scripture can do in my life and sets the limits on how Scripture can function as a means of grace. And as I look back over my life when I was young, and I worked diligently to learn Greek, Hebrew, the historical methods of the, uh, the historical uh, background of the Bible times, various interpretive methods. I wanted to master the Bible. As I've gotten older, I realize that all of this knowledge and skill, and I'm grateful for them, that those that knowledge and skill is only helpful if I shift my goal to allowing the Bible to master me. That's the crucial shift. Biblical authority isn't just some confession that we make. Instead, it's a way of life in which I willingly submit myself to the probing and investigation of the text on my life. It's only then that the Bible truly functions as the Word of God for me and my community. Karl Barth distinguished between the Bible as the Word of God and the Bible becoming the Word of God. Barth's thinking is complex and nuanced, and I don't claim to be an expert, but at the core, he makes a powerful observation. By distinguishing between the text as some sort of magical book, those are my words, not Barth's, 
and the text as a vehicle for God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, the responsibility is put squarely on us as readers and hearers of the Word. Since the Bible becomes the Word of God through the Holy Spirit, we, as students, must prepare ourselves for a conversation with it. The Spirit enlivens the Word, but friends, we can quench the Spirit's work in our own lives. We can suppress the power of the Word consciously through inattentiveness, willful neglect, or even rebellion. We can also negate its power unconsciously through blocks caused by our upbringing and our life experiences, both our positive experiences in life and our negative ones. Trauma, shame, guilt, fear, all of those things can actually be inner blocks to the work that God wants to do in us through Scripture if we can open ourselves up. In John Steinbeck's classic novel, East of Eden, Steinbeck offers us a modern retelling of the Cain and Abel story. And one of my favorite parts is its description of the matriarch, Liza Hamilton. She and her husband Samuel were immigrants from Ireland to the Salina Valley in California. Liza was depicted as the pious anchor of the family. She read the Bible regularly. It's interesting how Steinbeck, this is one of my favorite quotations from literature of all time, how Steinbeck uh, describes her commitment to Scripture. He writes, Her total intellectual association was the Bible, except the talk of Samuel and her children, and to them she did not listen. In that one book, she had her history and her poetry, her knowledge of peoples and things, her ethics, her morals, and her salvation. She never studied the Bible or inspected it. She just read it. The many places where it seems to refute itself did not confuse her in the least. And finally, she came to a point where she knew it so well that she went right on reading it without listening. I love that last line. And finally, she came to a point where she knew it so well that she went right on reading it without listening. It describes so well the temptation that many of us face when we read the Bible. You know, it's clear that the Bible was an important part of Liza's life, but she reached a point where she stopped growing. She knew the word, but she's unable to hear it. And thus, it stopped shaping her life. The tragedy was that she didn't recognize this profound loss. She thought of the Bible as God's book, but it didn't function as the Word of God in her life anymore because she didn't pay attention to it enough to listen and then to take action on it. Wesley's comments in his notes on the inspiration of Scripture, he's commenting on 2 Timothy 3.16, are helpful. Wesley wrote, the Spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires, supernaturally assists those who read it with earnest prayer. Wesley's words are helpful because he adds a human dimension to the role of reading Scripture. Don't pass over it too quickly, what he says, those who read it with earnest prayer. We can avoid the danger of inattentiveness in our study of the Word by committing to reading it prayerfully. I'm not suggesting that every study session must involve an intentional practice such as Lectio Divina, though I am going to model 
such a practice later on in the book. I am, however, advocating that we pray for illumination, guidance, and astonishment before and during our wrestling with the Word. We want the Holy Spirit quickening our minds, our imaginations, and our hearts as we listen attentively to the text. To pray while studying reminds us that God has much more at stake in our interpretive work than we do. Reading scriptures about personal transformation for the purpose of societal transformation. Every reading of the text is always much bigger than our individual lives and agendas. I've struggled at times in my own life to be truly attentive to the Bible. We all will likely experience seasons of spiritual dryness. During such times, it can feel as though we are merely going through the motions of reading God's words. In these moments, it's critical to be self-aware of our spiritual condition. It's not a time for self-flagellation. It's time to become genuinely curious about our reaction to the Word and to take Wesley's advice about praying earnestly. The prayer I like to use goes like this, Lord, astonish me anew. Lord, astonish me anew. I believe that prayer is one of those prayer postures that God honors. Also, I seek to be genuinely interested in finding what's lurking under my struggle to read Scripture attentively. Does some part of the text remind me of a pain point or struggle in my past or present? Does the text seem irrelevant to my current context? And if so, how do I wish the text would address my life or community? Do I sense a deep dissonance with the text? And if so, what would it look like for me to realign my head, heart, and hands with what's going on in the, in the text? It's also possible to be inattentive due to the pressing needs of the day. Jesus warned about the distractions of life. He, he warned that even important matters like food and clothing can be distractors, distractions. And he even exhorted his followers in Matthew 6, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Part of a life shaped with Scripture involves learning to make time in the Word a must rather than a should. We've all heard that sermon that in essence says you should read the Bible more. I don't care for the word should. And if you're reading this book, if you're listening to my words, my goal is not to convince you that you should read the Bible. Instead, my desire is way more audacious. In fact, I'm going to say this right now, in this, and I'm a Bible professor. I don't think you should read the Bible. Shoulds involve guilt. And the gospel is about grace. And I wrote Astonished by the Word to help you kindle or rekindle your love for how God can use Scripture for transformation to such a degree that reading Scripture isn't about shoulds anymore, but instead it's going to be a must. And I get to. I want to. I must read Scripture because I know that this practice is life-giving, soul-shaping, and transformational. To neglect it for any significant amount of time lessens my ability to grow in love for God, neighbor, and self. Again, I love Augustine's call. So anyone who thinks that he's understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God, 
has not yet succeeded in understanding them. What about you? When was the last time you were astonished by Scripture? Astonished by the Word? Ask yourself, what's my soul need? Now again, like I said, this isn't about shoulds. This is about must. And when you start reading Scripture, there's lots of different ways to proceed, right? You know, people always ask me, what translation should I use? My honest answer is read whatever translation you'll actually read. It's so important to say that and so freeing. There's no English translation that's any better than any other one. Every translation has strengths and weaknesses. When you're doing close study and careful study, it's some, like down to like a paragraph. Sometimes it's helpful to read two or three different translations. But just for your devotional life, maybe pick a different translation every year. And there's different ways to read Scripture, and we call it a must. And I've gone through different seasons. And so I don't prescribe, like, you don't have to read five chapters a day. There's no have to. It's a must. And so I've gone through seasons. I'm going to close out with just some of the ways that I've engaged Scripture over the years. Sometimes I just do the one-year reading plan, which essentially is if you read three chapters, Monday through Friday, four on the weekends, you're going to get through the Scriptures in a year. If you read four chapters a day, you'll basically get through the entire Bible once in uh, in the New Testament, and, and, and then you'll actually get through the New Testament twice in that in that time. So the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice, with about four chapters a day. I've gone through seasons where I really just focused on a particular book. Back in the early part of the 21st century, I was really captivated by Genesis 1 to 11. And I remember for really an entire year, I just read Genesis 1 to 11 over and over again. I've had a friend who read one psalm a week. He read it every single day. So it took him three years to get through the psalms. And he read a commentary every day with that psalm. And he got a deep dive into the psalms. I have a friend right now, my Gene Yatka, who's been a frequent guest on this podcast, uh, he reads through, uh, he reads, I think he's reading seven Psalms, no, five Psalms a day. So he's getting through the book of Psalms every single month, if I remember what he's doing this year. So he's just reading continuously through the Psalms along with other things. Uh, in 2023, to change up my own reading patterns, again, I've done different things over the years as I've been talking about. I'm reading the lectionary text for the next Sunday every single day during the week and taking notes on those things. You know, sometimes I read more than that, but I'm at least reading through the lectionary text multiple times each week. And then there's other seasons where I'm like, I wonder how fast I can read the Bible. So I read the Bible like uh, like I'd read a nonfiction book or a, a novel, and I just read it straight through. And, and I've gotten in different seasons, I've gotten through the Bible as fast as like three months through the whole thing. None of these things are to brag. The critical piece is this. If you want to be astonished, we have to open ourselves up to what God wants to do in us. And then we just got to take up the book and read. And that's another classic point from Augustine in his own conversions that he talks about in, in his book, Confessions. He gets the sense that pick up the book and read. So friends, are you ready to be astonished? Make scripture a must. And my, my new book, Astonished by the Word, coming out in August 2023, is going to help 
show you ways to open your own soul up for even more grace from God through the beautiful words in the scripture. Again, love to hear what you think about uh, the words. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com. Again, if you're interested and astonished by the word, you can sign up for the updates, drbrianrussell.org. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope. And all the references that I've made in this episode will be in the show notes. I'll see you next time.